Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. pastors here at St. Paul. Thanks for tuning into this worship podcast today. There is a somewhat well-known saying that finds its origins actually in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet that a rose by any other name 
would smell as sweet. And ever since, you could say, there, there's been a bit of a debate. Are people actually drawn to the flower because of the popularity of roses themselves, because of their name, essentially, or because of the sweet scent they possess? If a flower, this flower in particular, was named anything else, would it gain the same attention or adoration or however you want to describe it? I guess we'll never actually know. But I think the same idea could be applied to some stories we're particularly familiar with. Today, we're going to think a little bit about titles and how they shape our understanding of the story that they introduce. Think of some literary classics, Gone with the Wind, Of Mice and Men, Pride and Prejudice. Did you know that all of them originally had different titles? And I wonder, at least, would they have been the same beloved classics if they'd never been given that name that we love and know it by. All of this leads to our scripture reading for today, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we might not give it much thought, or even that brief five-word title is directing our focus within the story. It's telling us from the onset what or who we should focus on, what should hold our attention, and then what shouldn't. So with that, let's start by hearing the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then we'll go from there. So the words from Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay whatever more you spend. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the man said, The one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So now let's take a listen to a reflection on this parable that may be somewhat familiar to you and how both the title and the words direct our attention in some helpful ways. Well, I want to take just a moment this morning to think back to your high school American literature class. This might be more recent for some of you than others, or at least I'm thinking today about my 12th grade English Lit class. 
I have a vivid memory of one of the particular lessons where we studied the origins of the various titles of the novels that we'd been reading over the course of the semester. What we discovered was that many of these classics originally had different names, or at least proposed. So for example, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Apparently, Fitzgerald originally proposed several other titles to his publisher, such as Among Ash Heaps and Millionaires, or Under the Red, White, and Blue. If you've read this book or are at all familiar with it, neither of those sound quite right. If you're familiar, the, the image of this, uh, th this title of kind of the intriguing alliterative, The Great Gadsby, creates some curiosity a bit. Wondering about this main character, Gadsby, and what exactly makes him just so great. Or on the, on the other hand, we have something like To Kill a Mockingbird, which is originally named simply Atticus for the central protagonist of the story. But then Harper Lee, the author, decided she didn't want there to be too much focus on this one character. She worried people would get, sort of miss the richness or the importance of the other characters in the story if we just focused in on Atticus Finch. So it took on the now much more famous title that we all know. As it turns out, so many of the classics that we know and love, or that at least we were required to read in class, they were almost called something else. And I wonder how much those titles have actually shaped the enduring nature of those books. Or to put it another way, if a book had a different title, would it possibly take on a whole new meaning for us if we read it now? I'm thinking about the power of titles in particular today because of this short story, not quite a novel, uh, that we heard just a moment ago this morning. If you were to open up your Bible right now of any translation of your choice, chances are there would be some heading just above Luke chapter 10, verse 25, that says something along the lines of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And all those little headings and titles that we typically see throughout our Bible, they're chosen by a group of editors. It wasn't as though Jesus thought up this title. In fact, the word good is never even used in the story. It's just kind of developed over time as this Samaritan who showed exemplary goodness and kindness to others in need. So Jesus starts to tell this story that he's, after he's been asked to define what the word neighbor means. And he may not have chosen that title that has been forever associated with this parable, but it is pretty clear what Jesus wanted the focus of the story to be. The reason this parable has received the title it has is because the greatest emphasis is on the Samaritan, on their works of mercy and love and compassion. I'm guessing none of this is really revelatory or new information to you if you're familiar at all with the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I guess what I want us to remember today is that in no Bible ever, I'll go ahead and make that claim, you can correct me if you ever find that I'm wrong, you will never find a heading or a title that calls this the parable of the robbers. 
If you think about it, there's some pretty serious violence and brutality in this story. But Jesus gives it very little airtime as he's sharing this parable. All of about a dozen words describe what happens with these robbers. And instead, in fact, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's, the one, it's about this one who shows mercy, who was kind and thoughtful and a neighbor. And it's that person that gets the focus of the rest of the story as it unfolds. As Jesus was crafting this parable, he told the truth about the seriousness of this attack, how this man was left on the side of the road to die. And he certainly told the truth about the Levite and the priest, those first two to pass by, their failure to respond in a more helpful or thoughtful way. But I think he also chose not to dwell on any of those things. And instead, he spent the majority of his time describing what generosity and mercy and kindness actually look like. The way Jesus decides to tell this parable, it shows, I think, that we have a choice, really, an option. We can choose what will gain our attention or our focus and what won't. What will inspire us, move forward with richer lives of faith, and what we won't allow to gain a foothold in our daily lives. For Jesus, this story did not dwell on that violence, the cruelty, but instead focused on the compassion and the love. Now, what I am not implying is that we get to use our privilege to insulate ourselves from violence or tragedies that fill the headlines, or that we should only talk about happy and uplifting things, that just because we turn the news off doesn't mean that evil and suffering don't actually exist around us. We don't actually get to look away or ignore horrific images just because it's all too much to bear. In fact, all the more reason that we should pay attention so we don't sleepwalk through tragedy after tragedy, so we don't become too callous to the anguish of others. But what so often gets overlooked in this familiar story is what is not emphasized, which is evil and darkness that surely exist. It's not what gets to fill our hearts and our minds, though. As Christian people, we acknowledge where there is suffering, we name the evil that we see. We even name the ways where we are complicit in the wrongs of this world. That's why we begin, began our worship this morning with a moment of confession, where we know how we can and should do better in our lives. But then we get to work. We refuse to let evil steal the joy and the goodness from this world. We look for ways that love and light and kindness get to be louder than the things like hatred and racism and senseless violence. For the purposes of our story today, we get to live as though the brutality of one group of robbers does not have the power and the influence, the response of the Samaritan who has since inspired the actions of millions of people ever since. Or, in the words of South African Bishop Desmond Tutu, we get to live as though we believe that goodness is stronger than evil, and love is stronger than hate, and light is stronger 
than darkness. Or in the more recent words of poet Amanda Gorman, there is always light. If only we are brave enough to see it, if only we are brave enough to be it. That pretty much sums up the parable of the Good Samaritan. I don't know how you are feeling these days, but it has felt to me at least that our TVs and our news feeds are filled with deeply disturbing, disheartening events. I heard one person describe it recently. It's as though it's an atrocity of the day calendar where you just sort of wake up and see what bad thing is on the news today. And it can be overwhelming at times, I think. But then I'm reminded of an op-ed piece that I remember reading in the New York Times about two weeks after the events of September 11th. And the columnist Stephen Gould was reflecting on what he had witnessed when he went down to ground zero and really around the country how thousands, millions of people had responded in various ways. And he wrote this. The tragedy of human history lies in the enormous potential for destruction in rare acts of evil, not in the high frequency of evil people. So in what I like to call the great asymmetry, every spectacular incident of evil will be balanced by 10,000 acts of kindness, too often unnoted and invisible as just ordinary efforts of a vast majority. He goes on to write, we have a duty almost a holy responsibility to record and honor the victorious weight of these innumerable little kindnesses when an unprecedented act of evil so threatens to distort our perception of ordinary human behavior. A holy responsibility we have. I think that same idea may have been one small reason why Jesus chose to tell this story about neighbors the way he did. One awful act of violence. A couple people who chose indifference. But mostly, what we remember from this story is the Samaritan who moved near him, close to him, even when it wasn't supposed to be that way. Tended to his wounds, poured oil and wine to help heal him, carried him, paid for his hotel stay, returned to check back on him. Act after act of compassion to overwhelm the evil that had been done. And in this next 24-hour news cycle, there will surely be some act of evil that we will hear about. But there will also be things we don't hear as much about, like meals brought to someone recovering at home after being in the hospital, or someone holding the door for another, or a, a gesture of kindness in this very room this hour. There will be people who fall in love, or babies that are born, or prayers spoken for another, or someone paying for the coffee in the drive through line for the person behind them, or thousands of other little kindnesses. So our work begins with naming the evil and the suffering we see in this world, not choosing to ignore it entirely like those first two people in the parable. And then, we have this holy responsibility to act in defiance of that evil. And if Stephen Gould's math is correct, then we'll need about 10,000 acts between us of generosity and thoughtfulness and kindness. But I think, I think it's possible. So may we take our cues from this story and add to the beauty and the love that outnumbers evil by the thousands. 
because we would all rather live in a world that celebrates, that imitates, that not the parable of the robbers, but in fact what we know it to be, this world that emulates the parable of the good Samaritan. Amen. And we can light up
turn now to God in prayer, speaking those words Jesus taught us through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. This world needs about 10,000 little acts of kindness today, at least that much. So may you do whatever you can to add to that count today and every day. May you look for joy and kindness all around us, that great asymmetry that reminds us goodness is always stronger than evil. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.